today will be in Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thanks, Caitlin. We joked at the beginning before the service started that she was getting off easy because last week we had to read all of chapter 7 and she only had 17 verses this morning. But then I think you had the most announcements that anybody has ever had. So thanks for doing that. Um, man, just hearing those announcements is just a, a good reminder for uh, me in particular, probably for some of you as well. But I remember uh, this time a couple years ago when in January we had been into this building for less than a year and then we hosted... Uh, the Madison Multiply Women's event in here and packed this place out and they had so many giveaways and it was awesome. And then we had our, our worship night and we invited everybody from Madison Multiply into our church and we worshiped and it was awesome and we had this like huge wave of momentum and then COVID hit. And then we've been dealing with that for like the last 15 months and I'll, I'll just say like this COVID season has been super heavy, um, I'm sure for all of us. Uh, but just even talking about some of these things and remembering where we've been and some of these things that are still to come and where we're going gets me uh, a little excited about that again. So lots of good things coming up. So we've been in the book of Romans. In these last few weeks, we have seen this remarkable new life that we have in Christ. But then even last week, we see that there remains in our life this struggle with sin. 
And if we were just to leave off chapter 7, and, and, and Nate didn't do this last week. Nate did a great job of landing us back into the gospel. But if you were just to read chapter 7, there might be this heaviness that falls upon you of like, wow, yeah, that struggle with sin is still real. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet I still struggle with sin. You know, during the struggle, there's kind of three ways that we might deal with this. If you struggle with sin, uh, one of the things might be to just write it off and pretend like it's no big deal and just continue in sin because I'm, I'm saved, so what, why does sin really matter anyways? Just write it off, push it to the side. Or you could beat yourself up over that sin. You could become legalistic and, and, and whip yourself into the shape, pull up your bootstraps, and just fight sin and continually look at sin and be legalistic about it as if your justification depends on your own behavior. And Paul says that, that neither one of these two reactions are right. And what we're going to see this morning is we see this, this third response to both sin and the gospel that the believer should take on. So if, if last week could be summarized by the struggle with sin, this week it's the encouragement to live a new way. It's the encouragement to live a new way. Even with a struggle with sin, it's the encouragement to live a new way, or another way to put that is, is the power to live a new life. And Paul gives us this in, in kind of a sandwich structure this morning, if you look at the way this is written. And uh, the pieces of bread on the outside that we'll kind of start and finish with are like our identity in Christ, and then in the middle of that, the meat, meat of this sandwich is kind of what we should do in response to this, like how we should fight sin and how we should be empowered to live this new life, but it's this sandwich structure. And where Paul begins seems appropriate coming out of our struggle with sin because it begins with two key words, no condemnation. No condemnation. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Could there be many more sweeter words in all of Scripture than no condemnation? If you are standing on trial and before a judge and a jury has just brought in the verdict, is there any sweeter words than there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus? There is no penalty. There is no punishment for what you have done. There, there's no penalty there, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I could preach a whole sermon on just those words right there, right? We've already kind of addressed that in, in past sermons. If you want to go back and if I don't talk about no condemnation enough, just, just go back a little bit. Look at, especially like Romans 5 that talks about that. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I could preach a whole message on this and I can't, but I can't just breeze over that because this is like the gateway or the beginning to how we're to overcome this struggle with sin. If we're going to fight this and, and do a good job and, and wrestle with, with this struggle with sin, this is the place we have to start. But look real quickly at the word that comes right before no condemnation. It's the word now. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And John Piper says that there's two ways to define this now. It's not just one way to do this. He says, one is that finally everything is in place. Everything has been done. Finally, now I can receive 
what was promised. The other connotation, he says, for now is the now that comes before you thought it would. Here, the now is finally, it's not finally now, but it's already now. I was trying to think of a good illustration, and uh, if you're at a wedding, and you know how, how you get dismissed from the wedding, and, and you go to the reception, and it takes forever for the bride and groom to get there, right? And, and you're hungry, and you're wondering when the food's going to get there, and then finally the wedding party is, is announced, and they start dismissing tables. And you're, you're up at the front right, and you're thinking, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to get dismissed early. And then the person who's dismissing tables starts on the other side of the room and kind of works his way around so that you are last. And you're thinking in your head, like, how is this possible? I am in the front row. Obviously, they think I'm pretty special that I have a, a table at this reception up in the front. Why am I getting being dismissed last? This is a little bit of that already now. It's been this long, anticipated coming where this promise for us, for this no condemnation, was coming and coming, and now it's, it's finally here. It has finally arrived. But then the other side of that, if you've ever been to a wedding where you barely know the couple, and you're like on a second floor, and you're sitting behind this giant pillar so you can't even see what's happening there, and then they start dismissing people for food, and your table goes first. Like, how is that even possible? Like, I barely know these people. How could I get the honor of, of getting to go get my, my food first? Like, how could this already be here? I want to focus a little bit on that last part, because I think that is super important when we look at no condemnation. Because I think sometimes when we live our lives, we live our lives in a way that we think, Oh yeah, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But then what happens is, is you think, well, I, I need to get my act together. I, I need to, to pull up my own bootstraps and get, get to work. I need to figure out this sin thing. And then maybe that no condemnation thing will work for me. Or maybe you, you're walking along and you begin to, to like stumble into sin and you're like, I got to get this figured out, you know, because this no condemnation thing is gone for me and I got to fix this or this condemnation is going to fall right back on my shoulders. And we look at this as if Jesus is just an umbrella. Right, And this condemnation is reigning all around us, and Jesus is protecting us, but as soon as I step out from underneath that umbrella, I'm getting poured on by condemnation. And, and that's not right. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There is no penalty for your past sin, for your present sin, for your future sin. There is no penalty. God will no longer see you in that way. I think that's important because I think there might be some of us that struggle with that sometimes. We get a, legal, get a little legalistic about our sin. We start condemning ourselves. We feel condemned by others. We even feel condemned by God. And we start to beat ourselves up and, and we hide and, and run away. And, and we need to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no penalty for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have received the Holy Spirit, if you've been saved by grace, there is no condemnation for you. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you truly believe there is no condemnation, how does that change the way you live your life? How does that change the way that you struggle with your sin? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a 20, 20th century uh, Welsh preacher, 
He once said, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, there is no penalty for you. It no longer remains. It's gone. It's done with. God will no longer see you in that kind of way. This is such an important truth to begin our struggle with sin. But I think if we were to only look at no condemnation, we might just like kind of slide over to the other side and go, good, there's no condemnation. I can live however I want. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Let's live it up. Obviously, Paul has talked a lot about this too, right? I mean, look back at chapters 5 and 6. Of course, we're not supposed to live that way. And what he says, secondly, shows us that we, we can't live that way. Look at verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. So we first look at that, that no condemnation. And um, if you, have you ever been bowling? If you live in Wisconsin, of course you've been bowling, right? I mean, who doesn't love a sport that you can eat while you do the sport? I mean, <laughs> bowling is fantastic. But if you've ever been bowling, and they have that, that penalty line, this, this turned on, and your, your foot slides across it, I, I don't know if you noticed, like, those shoes are kind of slippery, and if you want to get, get a lot of power in, you've got to really slide up there. I remember playing with people in the past where their foot would constantly go across that penalty line, and that little buzzer would go off, and instead of looking up, even if you got a strike, you would look up and it would just say a P up there. It wouldn't give you any points at all. It would reset all the pins, and you'd have to start over. That no condemnation means that that penalty line has been shut off. That penalty line doesn't matter anymore, which means that we don't have to focus solely on, our, on not stepping across that line, right? We can actually focus on rolling that ball, and we can make a complicated sport a little bit easier when we don't have to think about that penalty line. That's the way it is with Christ Jesus. That, that buzzer has been turned off. You are free to focus on living a life in the Spirit, but... This language here is strong in verse 13. Put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the deeds of the body. Some really strong language. I was trying to think of a good illustration. Sorry, cat lovers, but I was thinking if, if I told you to put to death the neighbor's cat, like I don't know what the cat would be doing that it would need to be put to death, but if I told you to put it to death, I better not see it walking around in my yard the next day, right? If you're a cat lover, just put dog in there, whatever, whatever you need to do. Um, but this language of putting it to death is, is strong, and I kind of use that example because I'm hoping you're a cat lover and you go, whoa, put to death a cat, that's what we're told to do with our sin. 
to put it to death, not play around with it a little bit. It is to get rid of it, to put it to death. Now, why is this such strong language? First, we need to realize that I mean, we've seen this all along. Romans talks about sin so much in the beginning, and sin is such a big deal that Jesus had to come and die for us to rescue us from that, right? Sin is a big deal. But then, secondly, it's so serious that you can't just play around with it. Look at these little reminders that Paul gives us just in this chapter. Verse 2, Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, for those who, are, who have set their mind on the flesh is death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 10, the body is dead because of sin. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Death, death, hostile to God, cannot please God. Dead, die, slavery, fear. Some really strong language in there. But Paul is, is drawing us back into that seriousness of, of sin, and he's saying, like, don't mess with this. Don't just play around with this. This is serious stuff. This is the stuff that leads to death. Instead of being destroyed by it, put that to death. Put it to death. I love what Tim Keller says. He says a Christian doesn't play games with sin. You don't aim to wean yourself off of it or say, I can keep it under control. You get as far away from it as possible. You don't just avoid things you know are sin. You avoid things that lead to it, even things that are doubtful. This is war. Have you ever noticed that when you're combating sin and struggling with sin, that you can't just say, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore? Right? That's, that's not going to be enough. That is not going to war with, with your sin. Because if you continue to play around the path that leads to that sin, you're still going to sin. So Paul's warning us against here. Like, if your problem is anger, you can't just harbor all this, this resentment and, and anger up in your heart. Because if you do that, if you store it up in your heart, what's going to happen? It's going to spill out on something. Oftentimes it's going to spill out on people you, you love and, and people that you hurt around you that you don't even mean to hurt in that kind of way because you're, you're harboring it. You're storing it up. You're like, well, I'm not really getting angry and blowing up at somebody, but you're just storing it there so that you can just dump it out on somebody else. If you're struggling with lust and you think, well, I'm just going to take a peek at this one image. I'm not going to go all the way down that road. And you realize that like, that peek just opens up that door and you go down to a point where you are drowning in lust Again, Paul is saying, don't mess with this stuff. Don't even walk down the path. Put it to death. This is not okay. Don't play with it. Go to war against your sin. And the same could be said for fear. Same could be said for security. Whatever. We can't play around with the things that lead to death. We need to put sin to death. Keller says, if you want to overcome your sin, you have to go to war with it. Thinking like this time of year, if you're a homeowner, this is probably the best example you can get. Like, if you don't go to war against your weeds in your yard, 
you're not going to win that battle at all, right? You have, to, you have to set your mind on those things, and you have to go to war against those weeds. So in our house, we have the most horrible yard design on the history of the world, and I think the people who owned our house beforehand thought it would be a good idea to have little maintenance, and they would put up these rocks everywhere, so we have rocks all over our yard. I remember when we first moved there, I thought, oh, this will be okay, and like our kids pulled into the driveway, got out, picked up rocks, and started throwing them at the house. I'm like, this is like the worst thing ever. But what has happened over the years is this, these rocks that were supposed to be low maintenance, the, the liner that you put underneath the rocks is deteriorated away, so all of these weeds grow up. If, if they're in my lawn, that's not even that big of a deal. I just put the spreader out, and I just walk across the yard, and I'm done. But these, these weeds that are in the rocks, they're difficult to eradicate. Now, I could just go take my lawnmower and just mow over these things, like these dandelions, they get higher than the grass, and they're ugly, and you got all these other weeds. I could just do that. It's going to look good for just a little while, but what's going to happen? It's just going to grow back, right? The only way you're going to be able to get rid of weeds is if you pull it out at the root or you put some kind of weed killer on it that's going to get down there in the root and kill the root. You have to take the root out if you want to eradicate a weed. That's what Paul is saying here. Put to death. He's like, take that sin and rip it out by the root. You need to get rid of it. Don't play around with it. Don't mess with it. Put it to death. But I'm going to argue with you. We come out of no condemnation. We come out of putting to death of, of sin. But I'm going to argue with you that the, the best possible way, if you want to fight and, and struggle and do well against sin, the best way to do this is by changing your motivation. You need to change your motivation, which is the second part of this power to live a new life. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Your life is a reflection of what you believe. That's why so often, like, we, we give you gospel truths. We remind you of who your identity is because what you believe, often your behavior and how you live your life will follow it. What you believe is, is super important. So I'm going to make this part very plain and simple before we get into the last part of our identity in Christ. When I was a kid, my younger brother, he's like five or six years younger than me, the kid is brilliant. And when he was probably 10-ish years old, he wanted a dog, and there was no way that my parents were going to let him get a dog, because what happens when your kids ask for a dog? You end up taking care of it yourself, right? So here's what my brother Travis does. And kids, look at me real quick, kids, anybody? We're missing all of our middle schoolers on a camping trip right now, so that probably would have been most relevant for them. But if you want something from your parents, okay? This is what you do. You do what my brother did. This is what my brother did. He wants a dog. He goes to the library, and he bought, like, this huge stack of books on dogs. And he read every single one of those books. And then he wrote down stats and different things about breeds, and he 
decided like that this was the best breed for a kid to have. And then he made this list of how is the best way to care for this breed and the plan that he was going to have for caring for this dog. And he wrote it out in a paper and he handed it to my parents. Guess what? They said yes. He researched that like crazy. Now, if you want to think about setting your mind on something, that's what my brother did. He set his mind. He had a goal, and he was going to do everything within his power, work hard, do all of this research to make sure that that goal that he had was accomplished. And his hard work paid off. I realize that I'm probably a big fan of some of the kids here now, and the parents hate me. Please come back next week. We'll have a message for the parents next week. Set your minds on something else. Paul says to set your minds on things of the Spirit. And there's a lot of things this means. We could spend a lot of time here, but in short, this is what this means. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. You know, I was thinking about this as we were worshiping because, man, the truths, um, Larson's, that you guys picked out in the songs today were, were just so relevant, like coming out of a season where we're just all tired and feeling a little beat up and, and starting to gather in church. And I feel like even the church to some point has like lost some of his impact on how we're living our lives. Like sometimes if you're, if you're watching online, like I get it, sometimes it's easier to just Watch at home, but here's some of the things that we miss when we just play church casually. Not only do we miss the community, I think you really miss the truths of God. We were singing those truths earlier. They were impacting my heart so much, and I'm like, man, this is just what I need to be able to sing about these truths of God, the truths of what the gospel is. And it dawned on me that people in, in other generations had people in their church that were martyred and killed, and they still sang those truths about God. I just felt pathetic for a moment of like, how could you be so beat up and so tired of this little season where you got to take a vacation at home and do most of your work online and work in your own basement? But yet at the same time, let's not make light of the situation. This has been a hard year for us. And the little thing that I got from this morning is that those truths that come out, like what we set our minds upon, are going to be what gets us through the season. Those truths of the gospel, these powerful things of, of who you are and what God has done through you for Christ Jesus. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to your own heart. Spend time in God's word. If you don't know what these truths are, God tells you all the time. And then pray to him and thank him for those things. Have a a heart and a spirit of gratitude as you remember everything that God has done for us through Christ Jesus. You know, so often I think we, we treat sin like, um, like God is out to get us. Like we feel this, this fear and this weight to this. We focus so much on the punishment of it. And this will never kill our sin. But what does kill it, is instead of preaching guilt and judgment to yourself, instead look at what God has already done. Just preach the gospel 
to yourself. Paul doesn't tell us to pull up our bootstraps here, does he, and get to work. I mean, he does give us some things to work on. But he gives us two key gospel truths, two key new identities that you have in Christ that will help you with your struggle with sin. First, we had, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he finishes with this doozy. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Man, there's so many things that we could talk about, the importance of adoption, the the importance of the Spirit, even reminding us of who we are. Not only strengthening us, the Spirit strengthening us to to fight against sin, but the Spirit reminding us of who God is and and who we are. But we could focus on um, just the assurance or the the security that we have in this adoption, but I want to just zoom in on one very key thing because I think this is what this verse highlights more than any other application of you are adopted as a son. And that is just intimacy. Intimacy. Let me start a little bit back further. Adoption as sons. You know, this um, language, um, not very gender-neutral, um, there's a lot of pushback in our culture. There's been a lot of Bible translations that have gone in and fixed all of these things, things that talk about like he or, you know, just made it more general in terms. But let me tell you why like here is a key part where you do not want to do that. It talks about being adopted as a son. If you were in first century in the ancient Near East, uh, first of all, like most of the adoptions that happened there were, um, were done by like a, a father who didn't have an heir to, to, his, to his land and everything that he owned. So he would adopt somebody so that he had somebody to, to pass it down with. He didn't want this land to just end and, and not be passed down to anybody so that he would adopt somebody. And it was, it was always, most often a boy. Uh, it was a son that was adopted into this. And even when you were adopted a family, let's say that you have your own children, uh, you have sons, it wasn't the, the daughters that received that, it was the sons who received that inheritance, especially if you're the firstborn son. The firstborn son received the most inheritance out of all the kids. So if you were in the first century, you would think, wow, as a daughter, I have no rights here whatsoever, I have no inheritance, and guess what? You receive adoption as sons. If you were first century a daughter, how do you think that would affect the way you thought about God, that you are adopted as a son, that you were adopted as an heir, that you were treated equal in the family of God? It didn't matter if you were a boy or a girl, a daughter or a son, that you received adoption as sons. That's a big deal, right? That's what we receive when we are in Christ, when we receive the Spirit, we are adopted as 
sons. Let me read over verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this is where that intimacy comes into play and why this verse is so important when we realize our intimacy with God. That word Abba there, that's not just saying Father, Father twice. Okay, this, this had more intimacy. And um, most scholars and theologians that I read, they'll say this should be really translated as Daddy. I mean, this is a term of endearment. It is a term of relationship. It is, it is a term of just closeness. It's intimate. Abba means daddy. Now think about this for a second. Can you imagine the God of the universe calling him daddy? The God who created all things, the God who sustains all things, the God that holds all things together, that if you're a Christian, you get to call him daddy? That is huge. That is huge. You know, at home I have four kids, but my youngest two are both girls. And um, if you, you're parenting and you haven't had girls yet, just wait. They're way better than boys. I'm just kidding. I know there's boys in here. Boys are awesome. I'm a boy. Boys are great. But having a little girl as a dad is, is amazing. And so maybe it's just my daughters. Maybe it's not everybody's daughters. But every time I leave, I pull out of the driveway, and those two faces are pressed up against that window. blowing kisses, waving. And when I come home, thankfully I have a loud truck. I don't know what's going to happen when I don't have a loud muffler on a vehicle, but they hear me coming down the street. They hear me coming down the hill, and I pull into the driveway, and that door flies open. And I hear, Daddy, you're home. And they run up to me. And they gather in my lap. Of course, I ask for mints because I keep mints in the truck. But they just hold and let me cuddle them and snuggle them. Just so you know, the other kids in the neighborhood don't do that with me. (laughs) Only the ones that call me daddy. That's where this passage is ending. You want truth to help you? with a struggle in your life. I'll try this one on. You can call the God of the universe, Daddy, you are intimate and close with him. That is a relationship you have with your Father in heaven. Not just Father, but Daddy. Next time you're struggling with sin, try that on. That's your identity. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, and we are, we are so humbled by all the amazing truths that you give us in your word. God, what a great reminder that Paul doesn't just leave us there of, God, guess what? The struggle with sin is real. Get busy. Put it to death. 
but we're reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And that we are your sons, adopted in your family and heirs to the kingdom. God, we need your truths now more than ever. Help us to not only see them, but live them out in our lives and help us to worship in that reality. We pray this in your name. Amen.